out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viber and I'm joined as always by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. And we're going to continue our positional preview series on this episode. We're going to be taking a look at the first base position. Maybe a little more exciting than the catcher position we discussed on the last episode, but I think there's some parallels that we'll discuss as well. Do you guys want to start talking about the the, the top tier here? Like I, I have a note on our little notes sheet that... The top tier is Freddie Freeman, and that's it, right? I mean, I, I, we kind of said the same thing about catcher with Real Muto, but I feel like Re- Freddie Freeman really is truly an entire tier above anybody else at first base. When we're yeah, talking he's... about first base primarily, right? Like, one thing I haven't mentioned yet is the caveat with all this is that we're going to be discussing players at the position where they have the most valuable eligibility. So somebody like Cody Bellinger, for example... He's first base outfield, so he, we're going to talk about him in the outfield episode. So technically, he's probably close enough to Freeman that maybe he'd be part of a close tier to him. But if you exclude anybody with outfield or third base eligibility, I think it's Freeman and Freeman alone. Yeah, I think I think Bellinger's worth talking about because I think, you know, in general, if a guy's first base outfield, first base, third base, anything like that, you're not going to use them at first base. Bellinger's the one guy who I think there's a little bit of an exception there because he's so good that he plays anywhere. You can use him anywhere. And I, I, I know there are teams out there who like, they have an expensive Bellinger, they have an expensive Soto. And then from there on, they don't want to have to worry about like, oh, I need to have a first baseman because I have to optimize by putting Bellinger in, in the outfield. And if they find six, seven outfielders they like that are cheaper to fill in behind Soto and would rather use Bellinger at first base, Great, right? And if you're doing that with like DJ LeMahieu instead of using him at second base, or if you're doing that with a lower level outfield first base combo guy, you're probably leaving points on the table. Bellinger's the one guy who's just, if he were first base only, we would no longer say that Freeman's in a tier by himself. And because of that, I think if you're using him at first base, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're not maximizing the utility of him at that point, but on those days where you need you need to f- swap in a first baseman and your other first baseman isn't available, then um, you're not losing too much by shifting your outfielders up your depth chart and moving Bellinger over to first base. So, yeah, I also just think as you get down the the list and my my first base list at at is up on Rotographs or should be by the time this airs up on Rotographs. As you get down the list of guys who are actually pure first basemen, it doesn't take that long before you get to guys like a Rowdy Tellez, Nate Lau, who I know we're going to talk about, Joey Votto, where I'm at a point where if like I'm comparing them to a outfielder of a similar tier, I may be just as good going and getting that outfielder. And letting Bellinger be my full-time or my primary first baseman rather than being like, no, 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 I have to go get a Joey Votto in order to push Bellinger back to the outfield. It's an option. And Bellinger gives you that flexibility. But he is the one first base plus something else bat where I look at him and go, yeah, if he's your first baseman, I'm not – I'm not sitting there knocking down your door with trade offers telling you you're misusing Bellinger. If you're doing that with LeMayhew, I'm offering you something because you're doing you're you're using him wrong and you your team is not optimized. If you're doing it with Bellinger, you might be doing just fine. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. It Pretty is- disappointed that Dom Smith doesn't make the tier for you there, Chad. <laughs> I, I think Smith is, uh, you know, he's close. <laughs> <laughs> you, you we'll, to... we'll, we'll revisit that in 2022, I yeah. think. Right. The, yeah, the... I think later than that, actually. I think Smith's probably longer away from being just first base eligible. But Well, I just meant from being good enough to be in that Bellinger category. No. But yeah, as I, think, as I love it. I think, I think Freeman and Bellinger, that, and, and Chad, you made some good points about Bellinger, but talking pure first baseman, like Freeman and really has established himself as a tier above which is which is pretty cool like it, i think it's like fun but it's it's also weird that we're not talking about 
the normal like three or four monster bats in this position. Like Freeman is, I mean Bellinger too, but Freeman is the one, and like that's a production. That's like a the production that Freeman has isn't historically unique. It's just right now in this class of first baseman, it's it's a tier above. Yeah, and, and and I think it's I mean we'll talk about some some of those names later as some of those former sort of top tier first basemen that have slipped a little bit, but it is interesting now that we've had back to back episodes and there's sort of a clear number one at the position and, and Freeman is even farther above the, the remaining field of first baseman than Real Muto was for catchers. So all right, let's um shift over to our breakout pick for first base. I'll let I'll let Chad start, and then I've got a name, and then I think Niv wanted to, to counter my name. He's gonna he's gonna Uno reverse my 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 breakout pick, but that's fine. Well, that's that's see, we're, we're see, having a discussion, see. yeah. So uh, the, if if I'm starting, I guess then the name I'm gonna throw out is Jared Walsh, who you know he's a guy who maybe was a maybe broke out last year already, but he's still going for prices where I think you can still buy in. Last year came so out of nowhere, right? He was really bad in 2019 when he got some major league time. He's got a decent minor league track record behind him, but it's sort of the, you know, the 2020 season, it was only, he only got 108 plate appearances. He wasn't a full-time guy this year. It looks like he's going to have a shot at being full-time or close to it. It's a little tough to tell what the angels are going to do with Otani and Pujols. To me, you you've got Walsh as your first baseman. You've got Otani as your DH, and when Otani isn't available or Walsh needs a day off, Pujols should get to play. But I don't know that the Angels are going to feel the same way. But if we get a full-ish season out of Walsh, his his breakout last year, he made some swing adjustments, and it looks legit to me. So to to follow up on that, like what would be your expectation? Because right now he's projected. Depth charts, he's projected at a 327 weighted on base. His career over 195 plate appearances is a 334. So I'm assuming, I mean, you, your expectation would be even higher than that. I mean, what what kind of range would you put as an over-under for for saying that he's a, he's a breakout? I'm just curious. Yeah, for an over-under, I mean, he was at 393 last year. Yeah. And when I look at his 393 last year, so first let's start with this. I don't think he's going to be at 393. If you give me that as the over-under, I'm taking the under. But when I look at that, there's not a lot that stands out as glaringly problematic. He didn't have a super high BAPIP. His home run per fly ball rate was high, but when you look at some of his minor league numbers, it's not totally crazy to think that he could run a high home run per fly ball rate. I think a, a more realistic number is something like a 350 to 360, let's say 355. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that would be, def- that would be pretty good, right? Right. I mean, yeah, that would that would put him in not... a, in a tier that would be like in that maybe top five or six range at the position, maybe, yeah, maybe I mean, I seven think, or eight, like maybe 20, 15 to $20 first baseman, I'd say at least. Yeah. I think I should be clear. Like that is, that is my over under on him as a potential breakout. I don't right, right. think like there's a reason the projections are what they are. There's a lot of risk there. There's a lot of risk that he doesn't, doesn't actually play enough. I, I'm, I don't know. Now I'm talking about this. And I'm looking at my my ranks, and I, I haven't quite published them yet. And I'm wondering how I'm just too low on him in my ranks because I have him. I, I think maybe because of the playing time concerns, I've got him down around sort of 21st among actual first basemen and 38th among players who qualify at first base. And as we're talking about this, that feels low. I think he's better than that, and I think I'm going to bump him up before this actually gets published. Yeah, on the surplus calculator dollar values right now for first base eligibility, he's 15th. Again, not counting the guys like Bellinger that have eligibility in a, in a more valuable spot. He's 15th at about $5, So, which I think is reasonable, and I can understand being higher than that on Walsh, but I think that that's a reasonable spot to put him. Yeah, I think looking at him at tw- where I have him at 21st right now, I downgraded him for his playing time risk yeah. without doing a subsequent upgrade for his breakout potential. And I think that as I, as I move him around, he'll probably settle somewhere around the, the mid to low teens. 
that's probably that where you have him at 15th. But I think the big thing with him is if he shows up and actually puts up that 350 to 360 type number, he's going to force the Angels' hands to move on from Pujols. And when he does that and establishes himself as a regular player, he very quickly will jump up into that top 10. Like if he posts those kinds of numbers, he becomes a top 10 guy. The problem with him is if he's even a little, like if he's, let's say a 340, which would still be a very good first baseman, I think they'll continue to roll pool holes out there longer than they should, five years longer than they should at this point or something. (laughs) And as a result, he not only will lose the production and fall because of that, but he'll lose playing time and fall even further. And so I I think there's an issue, like, the reason he's not as expensive as he maybe should be and the reason he's a breakout guy is because the floor is still pretty low yeah. because he could he could turn back into a pumpkin. He could be decent but not get the playing time. There's the potential he's great. And, and that's the whole point of the breakout picks that we're making, right, is like that the, the median result for Walsh probably is, you know, like we, we said, maybe in that five range, that $5 range that the surplus calculator has him at, but that high-end you know, 90th percentile for Walsh could be a twenty twenty five dollar first baseman could potentially if he hits anything like he did last year. So, my pick for breakout first base, and I feel like I'm doubling down because I'm pretty sure I mentioned him when we talked about this position last year, is Nate Lowe. I liked him when he was with the Rays. It drove me crazy that he didn't seem like he was getting a chance until very late in the shortened season last year. He's been traded to the Rangers now, which. On the one hand, makes me a little nervous because why are the Rays moving off of him? And does that say something about their evaluation of him? On the other hand, I feel like he's going to have a pretty solid guarantee of a job there in in Texas, which I think is going to be good because I think if he's given the opportunity to get regular playing time, I think he's going to mash. For me, he's a an easy call for like in, in that similar range that you were just talking about, Chad, like a 350 to 360 Woba first baseman this year. I'm higher on him than the projections. The projections are pretty favorable for him, but I'd be even higher than that. I think his minor league performance justifies that for me. And he he needs to work on his contact for sure, but I think there's enough power potential in the bat that if he makes any sort of improvements just from getting more exposure and learning in the majors, then I think he he could be a masher for the for the Rangers in their lineup. So Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you there. Justin, I think, man, so you did mention Nate Lowe as a sleeper last year in the notes. And I I feel like, well, I'm not going to disagree in the idea that, you know, if you can get Nate Lowe for cheap, uh, it it might be worth, especially in that Texas ballpark. And I think the playing time argument is super compelling. Like, I think, you know, he's going to get a first real shake at being in the majors. When I look at his track record, I, I just see a guy who was older than the competition at every level of the minors and and not not like way older not too old not like a a quad a guy but but you know he's he's 23 years old and in high a and double a and he's mashing and that's really the only year in 2018 that he that he that he hit the kind of like power numbers that you want to see at first base yeah the flip side of it is i think you know he's hitting in texas he has shown the ability to to hit the ball far and and he's gonna get time to play i just i just worry that well maybe not worry but i think there's a lot of people in the auto new community that are big on nate low and i wonder if he's a fair breakout because i just wonder what the price is going to be for him like is he going to be a 12 dollar, 13 dollar first baseman now or are you gonna be able to get him for four or five dollars and i feel like we're almost post sleeper on him which is to me, crazy given that he hasn't done it in the majors yet, and maybe maybe that's the Rays' fault as much as anything else. But but he still hasn't done anything in the majors. So for, for what it's worth, in the catcher episode, I talked about my my slow auction that's that's going on right now and some prices from that. Nate Lau went for eleven dollars in that. Right. So I think Chad, I I feel like I, I I had that in my brain for some reason, like a low a low double digits, and to me that's just a. I mean, I don't know, Justin, what do you think? Do you think that's, is that a bet you're willing to take at that price? Yeah, I am. Because in fact, he's, he's right, uh, right at $11 on the surplus calculator. So just with his, with his projections as they are right now on depth charge projections, he's right at that $11 mark. So yeah, I'd be willing to pay that because I think the upside is greater than that. 
and and that's the whole point. Again, that's the point of making a breakout pick is, is you know, so if I can get him at, at his median value and then think that there's untapped upside beyond that, those are usually the guys that go for a premium, right? Like, I know I understand the argument that if, if you you feel like Nate Lowe, Nate Lowe is going to be a young first baseman who could make that leap, then people are going to overspend on him. But $11, I think, is about right for me. And maybe it's a, I would, I'm a little surprised it was that high. Let me put it that way. Yeah. It's $11 on the surplus calculator. I feel like in general, the Audenew consensus on him would have him lower than that. So I'd be happy to pay up to 11 but wouldn't expect that I'd have to go that high. Maybe, again, maybe I'm wrong about that. A lot of this stuff, we're recording this stuff early. Auctions, right. I've, I think there's been a couple that have, have completed at this point. Half so, dozen at most. Right. So we're, we're, we're not, we're making a lot of uneducated guesses about what the market rates for some of these guys are going to be. But I think that he's worth taking a chance on in that sort of tier, that $10 range at first base, because I do think that he's, he's one of those guys that could have upside as a $25 first baseman if things go his way. What One little caveat in him or one thing to keep in mind. And Niv, you're talking about him playing in Texas. Remember, Texas got a new park last year and Texas's new park does not appear. It's only six, you know 30 games there. So who knows? It does not appear to play the way the old park in Texas played. Right. That's a good call. And yeah. I, it's going to be very interesting to watch as this year goes on. He strikes me as a kind of guy who a deadened ball and a park that may play as a much more pitcher friendly than we are expecting could it's it's dampening my excitement about him we'll say that well see i would say when he hits 30 home runs and you guys would both have to man okay we, that i made we can that have I that conversation yeah <laughs> we can have that conversation when it happens but and then know. and then next year we can argue about whether nate low or dom smith is a better is a better hitter right <laughs> there you go <laughs> you can try to argue <laughs> Okay, and and I think I don't think Niv, you necessarily had a breakout no, other than have, pushing back on mine a little bit. I don't have a specific breakout here, unfortunately. I think for for me, and we'll get into it right now, I guess, and I'll, I'll just use it as a segue. I think the more interesting conversation is value yeah. at this position because there are, and Justin, you alluded to it. There's a lot of guys that were living in that. Maybe we put them in the top tier, or we have them in a top two tier that have maybe slipped a little bit. And I think there's prob- I think that's where it's going to be really fun and interesting to see what the auction results are like for guys that we have in this next group here, which, again, I will let you guys uh, run with it. Like, Chad, you have a couple names. Yeah, and I think that my, my sneak preview towards the end of this, like we did with catchers, we'll talk about our draft strategy. And I've got some description of my rosters that I'll share about what's going on at first base, but I am living in this tier. And I think right. there's a lot of really interesting guys here. I, it's it's just hard for me to call any of them breakout, right? Would you agree with that? Like, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys, the guys that I'm thinking of here are not breakouts. They are, but they are values. And I'm, Justin, the guy you listed, I will let you start because the guy the guy you listed is sort of a high end, high cost value play. I think I think you're spot on with him. Yeah, I mean, and it's a guy that I've liked for forever, basically, since he came up with Reese Hoskins. I, I think that there's some, and he's another interesting one where I feel like the market was slow to buy into him, even though the projections were very high on him. And then he started going for a price that I felt was worth it. But then he sort of has had some stumbles along the way where I really am curious if this off season and this auction season are people going to ignore the fact that he had a 382 weighted on base during the short 2020, or are they going to focus more on 2019 when he only had a 347, which is, you know, which is fine, but not the $25 first baseman that you are probably, you know, have if he's on your roster right now. I think that given, again, price sensitivity is such a focus for, for me personally, and I think for all three of us, if the price is right, I think he's a really strong value because he, I still think that there's potential for him to be right below in that next tier behind Freddie Freeman. And if you can get him at a price where you're not overpaying for that tier, great. And I think he could be a value there. The only thing I'm hesitant on is who's that next guy that everyone's going to chase? Like who's, if, if it's not Freddie Freeman and he's off the board, who's the first baseman that at auction in a first year auction everyone's going to chase. Is it Reese Hoskins? It could be. And if it is, then his price might get beyond the point where I think he's a value. 
So just to just to throw some some a little bit of semi-related data. So as we were saying, this is uh, early in auction season. I'm doing a, a snake draft right now for a dynasty startup. It's an OBP dynasty league. So it's a five by five, but with OBP. So it's not apples to apples with auto new, but it's moving that direction. Thanks to the, you know, the dynasty aspect of it and the OBP piece. Freeman was the first first baseman off the board. Obviously, Pete Alonso went next, then Andrew Vaughn. No, sorry. Then Matt Olson, then Andrew Vaughn, then Jose Abreu, then Dominic Smith. Then I took Hoskins in the eighth round of that as the seventh, I believe, first baseman off the board. And shortly after that, Luke Voigt, Paul Goldschmidt, and Josh Bell also all went off. And I don't know that Voigt and Goldschmidt would have la- would have gone after Hoskins if I hadn't jumped in and taken Hoskins. That's with a group of guys from uh, Pitcher List. Some of them are writers. Some of them are sort of Pitcher List community members. So they are invested, involved, intelligent baseball fans. I think it's a pretty good proxy for the type of people you'd see in an auto new league. And when I look at that, I think Hoskins is going way too late. I think I I took him as the seventh first baseman off the board. I think that was way too late. And I think had I not taken him, he might have lasted another round. I just wasn't willing to wait. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's going to be interesting. I've been looking at his last 10 ads uh, for Fangraphs points leagues. And again, that's not all going to be new auctions. That's going to be probably maybe late pickups from him getting cut late last season. That late last 10 ads average is $23.90. And on the surplus calculator, I think the price I've got him at, yeah, is, is the value is twenty two fifty. So he's very close to that that sort of that par line. If you think that that's what his auction price is going to be in first year leagues, which I'm fine paying because I think he's still twenty seven. He's still dependable as far as his ability to play. I mean, he did play one hundred and sixty with seven hundred plate appearances in twenty nineteen. Even though he wasn't great, he did play a lot. So yeah, I mean I'm I'm in I'm in at that price range, but if he's pushing closer to 30, I I probably am not interested. And that also has to do with we're going to we're going to talk about it later when we talk about strategy at the position. I just don't want to pay for first baseman. And if it's not Freeman, then I'm definitely not interested in paying $30 for any first baseman. And so I I'd rather mix and match at the position kind of like we discussed on catcher the, the on the last episode. So depending on price, and that was my note. Reese Hoskins could be a value depending on that price. And if he's pushed beyond that, then I'm going to look elsewhere. The other name that I had was CJ Crone. He, I think, is not super exciting, but he's he's on the Tigers. He's going to play and he has hit. And if he is only a four or $5 first baseman and he produces seven to $10 in value, then it's not exciting, but there's there's a value pick at first baseman, and that's the kind of guy I'm targeting in the back end that I don't have to spend a lot on that position to get reasonable production. So, I'm yeah. a big fan of Crone as well. I think it's a good guy. I like those picks. I will. Well, I guess my my main question was about Hoskins, and you kind of covered it. I'm I'm pretty bullish on Hoskins myself. I think, you know, I think there's a track record here that could convince you that he could outperform his uh, projections. So sort of a different thing than Nate, Nate Lowe for me, but I, I really do wonder, and I think, you know, this is the, I mean, this is just going to be the theme. I so, so price sensitive there. And I think $30 is just $30 is scary, but it, it's, it's one of those things also where you have a first base, I wonder if how many people are going to just think my first baseman should cost forty dollars, and and that's 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 an excellent point. That's exactly right. Where and and I have a note later on when we talk about the strategy section. I'll just sort of mention it now. For me, the top range of first base pretty much always go much higher than I I would be willing to spend on them. So I feel like you're right. If if people are looking at this collection of first basemen. And okay, Freeman's at the top, but then here's two, three, and four. And if they're pricing them at 35, 33, 30, right. 28. Just, just by the default of where first basemen sit in my brain. Right. That the second best first baseman should be 30, a 35, you know, 35 player, plus yeah. player. Then, yeah, I, I think that that's going to push a lot of that tier at a price where I'm not willing to pay it. And, and 
you know, I mean, you've got a note on here about what our expectations might be for Hoskins for his first year average salary. I think it's going to be, I'd be shocked if it was any lower than $25. And that's only assuming that the market doesn't see him as anything more than like the fifth best first baseman at the position. So I think if the market tanks on him, like I'd be a buyer, I would try to get him on my team, but I just worry that, or, you know, I just don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. Like, And here's a name we didn't, we haven't talked about a whole lot right now, but like contrasting Reese Hoskins with Pete Alonso, right? I feel like there's still enough, you know, the 50 home run season is still so fresh in everyone's minds fresh. and they're going to write off 2020, which is fair. I mean, it was a very short season and I'm not willing to say that that's the true Alonso because he struggled. But I, I feel like if anyone's going to then push up into that st- $35 range, it might be somebody taking a chance on Pete Alonzo rather than Hoskins. And, you know, they're right. similar ages. Alonzo's a little bit younger, but I feel like of the two of them, I would expect Alonzo to, to have a higher average salary in first year leagues for sure. I, I'd expect that as well. But I think that the real answer here, if you're prepping for an auction, especially a first year auction, because honestly, I don't think those guys are available in most second, third, fourth year leagues. But if you're prepping for an auction, those guys are both really good targets and you just want to try to figure out which one's going to be cheaper. And you're not going to know until it happens. You're not, you can't really plan for that. But like, I am very happy if I walk out of an auction with a price I like on Alonzo, with a price I like on, on Hoskins. And there's a few other guys in that sort of in that tier. I think those guys are probably the top of that tier, but like if I get a better price on Matt Olson, I'm very happy to walk out of an auction with Matt Olson. I'm still willing to bet on a, a bounce back from Rizzo at the right price. There's a bunch of guys in that tier that if I walk out of there, and we haven't even talked about the other value pick I have, which is Josh Bell. And I think Bell Bell is a guy who obviously had a really bad year last year, but that is a it is a good bat. It's a stronger bat than I think people often give him credit for. He also has a career 103 WRC plus at home in Pittsburgh and a career 123 on the road. And he is, this isn't the Coors Field effect where, you know, everything's different and he's going to take, like when guys leave Coors, their home road stats get worse, but the road stats get better. That isn't what we should see from him. He's moving to a park that is going to be much more conducive for him putting up big numbers. And I, I think he bounces back in a big way. Yeah, I like Josh Bell as a value choice as well. I think, you know, I think, I mean, this is this is sort of where I think we should be living when you're thinking about auctions. Like this Josh Bell, Hoskins, Alonzo, like where can you find the value there? And, and you know, Josh Bell is going to be put in a really good situation. I the one the one pushback I have on him is right now there is no expectation. I have no expectation of a DH in the National League. And that means that there is like a a weird glut of those kinds of players in Washington with the Schwarber signing and Josh Bell and Zimmerman coming back. And I think we probably all agree here that Zimmerman probably shouldn't be an everyday player anymore. Like, but, but he also is extremely a Nationals player. And from that perspective, I, I feel like there's uh, a front office sort of respect for him that may give him more playing time than he needs, sort of in an Albert Pujols kind of way. So, so I'd just be worried a little bit about playing time. But it's again a thing very similar to what Chad said about Jared Walsh. In a rational world, you shouldn't have to worry about that. In a rational world, Josh Bell would be the everyday first baseman, and he'd have a really good chance to an opportunity to prove himself in in a ballpark that he probably will be able to hit well in. So I, I really like Josh Bell this year. I have a name up here while I'm going, Joey Votto, that that is an extreme value play. If you're paying more than a couple bucks, you know, again, this is, this is a depth play more than an everyday uh, starter. But I think it's worth a bet in a deeper roster. Like it's worth having a little bit of first base utility depth. And Joey Votto can provide that for probably really cheap. And I just don't see how just given his ability to walk in many formats in auto new, he should be pretty okay. Like not, not everyday starting first baseman for, for the best team in the league. Okay. But absolutely useful to roster. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, we talk about high floor and I feel like Vado doesn't have a high floor, but I feel like he has like a guaranteed 
Like he's worth a dollar or two, like guaranteed as as a second first baseman on your roster. That sort of floor, I think, absolutely exists. And you're right because he walks so much, it it just provides him just with a such skill. a stable foundation for what he right. Can it's do. a skill that doesn't that like you know we talk about the age, but that's that's the right skill that you have as you age, right? And what's interesting about his 2020 because I was looking at it right now is you know he bounced back a little bit with his weighted on base. He was back up to 347 after being at 332 in 2019. And he did that hitting for more power and with a lower BABIP. So if the BABIP comes back up and he keeps everything else in in a similar range, then, I mean, he could be a 350-plus first baseman, which is more than more a, than a, a, a back-end filler at, yeah. at first base. So, yeah, it's definitely a name that I wouldn't ignore and say that he's definitely washed. I mean, he's he's 37, which is younger than me, but still getting up there in age. So, <laughs> <laughs> You know, v- Votto's a guy who, in, in Jeff Zimmerman's Mining the News this offseason, one of the things he picked up is that Votto made a swing change. He talked about making a swing change specifically to unlock more power. And if you go back and look, you can see where he made the swing change. It's, it's noticeably different in his stance. His power went up noticeably after it happened. And so I think that I actually think at some level where we may be selling Vado a little short, but I also think we're, we we might be selling the market short on him. So I, he was a guy who in this slow draft that I've got going on right now, or slow auction I've got going on right now for League 670, I again was like, I don't even need a first baseman in that league, but I was sort of interested in him as a end of the bench guy, think he might be able to do more. He ended up going for $9 in that one, right around the $11 that Jared Walsh went for. And so I don't know if that, again, it's one league. I have no idea how representative that's going to be, but I'm not sure he's going to slip through as that one to $2 guy. I think the fact that he went for $9 in this league tells me he's going to be at least four to five in most. There was a chatter in Slack last night of a $4 Votto, I believe. Like, I think that's sort of four to five is probably. Yeah, it looks like, because I was looking at, I mean, it's Champs B has already had their, their auction and that's a Fangraphs points league. And he he went for four dollars in that league. So, so you know, four dollars in the one. How much did you say you went in in, in nine. Chad nine? So I bet, I bet we're getting a good sense of the range. Six or seven dollars maybe is is the average. Somewhere like I bet three ends up being the floor, but you're rarely going to see that. And I bet ten or eleven ends up being the ceiling, but you're rarely going to see that. Yeah, I I think for for nine dollars, I definitely would have other targets that I'd prefer at that salary at four, five, or six, depending on the rest of my team. I could see taking that chance on Votto to to sort of cap your upside, but but lock in some certainty there. Yeah, I think so. the, the big difference with him at that nine, ten, eleven dollars versus a Nate Lau or Jared Walsh, like we talked about before, is that. No matter how good Votto is this year, he is still 37, and he will still be 38 next year, and he will still be 39 the year after that. Yeah, and that, and it just is going to. You get into this game where, and to be fair, people have been playing this game with Nelson Cruz for like a decade and never seem to lose. But at some point, you just it's it's gonna it's gonna stop. And so, if I was if I'm looking at those three guys at Lau. Walsh and Votto, and you're telling me I need a guy right now for this year. Who am I going to rely on? Votto has the highest floor, and I don't think his ceiling for this year is meaningfully lower than those guys. It might even be higher than them. I think it's similar. But the value of them hitting that ceiling is much higher for the younger guys who you can keep into the future. Right. Because it's not just this year that that that's benefiting you it's it's next year so yeah which is true yeah absolutely and that's why you see the auto new market in general these older players can be a value to scoop because they're being priced for two or three years worth of of that degradation and if all you care about is what joey Votto does for you this year because you're making a championship push i think it's a good pickup for five or six dollars as your second first baseman you know maybe you're you're rotating him in and out of utility for for most of the year so yeah all right now do we want to talk about busts again bust to me is is price context dependent a couple of names on here they're not first baseman that i don't like i just wonder about what their price is going to be in the market the first one being Jose Abreu. He was great last year. And I wonder if people are going to, you know, I feel like, Chad, you made this argument the other day. And I and I think it was it was very, a very good argument to make, which is I feel like people are 
buying into the good performances in 2020 and hand waving away the bad ones during the short season. And, and it's creating a situation where, okay, you can't, you can't be on both sides of that, right? Like you either believe that 2020 was meaningful in some way or you don't. And, and I think that Abreu is at a point now in his career where he's 34. He's had a number of years in the majors. It was a career year, obviously in that short season last year. But I think we, in general, we know what he is right now, right? Like his career average is a 366 weighted on base, but he's been in in the full season 2019, he was 344. In 2018, he was a 337. So he was the weighted average of his last three seasons with a partial 2020. That's why the projections are saying 341 for depth charge projections. I think that's a little low, but I also don't think I would think any higher than maybe like a 350, 355 weighted on base for Jose Abreu. And if people are paying him, again, he was the MVP. MVP Jose Abreu has got to go for $30. No, I am not interested in him at that price. And I think that that's, you're, you're not, you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to get a bust on your hands if you're paying him $30. Yeah, I think that's for sure true. And I think he's, to me, he's more like a $15 first baseman. <laughs> like in that range than the, than the $30 yeah. range. And, and I think what's happening to, to your, your point about my point about people waving away the bad and accepting the good, I think that what's, what's I'm actually happening is at a league-wide level. There's always somebody in the league who thinks last year is just a small sample size and can be ignored. And there's always somebody in the league who thinks, no, we got 60 games, that's real, and I'm I'm buying into it. And because of that every player has somebody who's willing to buy into last year or wave away last year, right? So even if even if an individual person isn't being contradictory, the league is. And so I do think with a guy like Abreu, you're going to find that. You're going to find somebody in your league who says, this guy is coming off an MVP season. He's legitimately one of the best first basemen out there. They're going to ignore the fact that there's another Jose who plays corner infield in the AL Central who should have been the MVP last season. And they're going to pay him 30 bucks. And that's, that's what's going to end up happening. And you should just let them. I I have no idea which Jose you're referring to. I can't think of none of them come to mind. (laughs) Yeah. And, 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 and I think it's just, again, I like Jose Abreu and I think he's a, he's a strong first base uh, talent for auto new points, but not if you're paying 25, $30 for him. I think there's other options, other ways to spend that money that it's going to be more beneficial to you as an, as an auto new manager. The other name that's sort of similar is Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, we were talking about all these former studs that have sort of slipped a little bit. And I think Goldie's part of that. I mean, what would you be willing to roster Goldschmidt at in a first year league for this year? And the surplus calculator had him at 16. No, I'm sorry. 14.4 because the projections are pretty tepid on Goldschmidt. I'd probably go higher than that, but like, how high would you go in a first-year league for Goldie? He's sitting at $26.91 uh, average salary right now, and his last 10 is lower than that, $23.10. And I feel like that $23.10 has to be the ceiling right now, like that $23. I think I'd like to get him less than that, but... Justin, you made a comment about in your notes about, you know, do people, I don't want him if people think he's still Pete Goldschmidt. So 2019, he had that 346 Woba. The five years around that, going back to 2016 and including 2020, 382, 400, 390, 387. Go back before that, 418, 402, 404. Why isn't he Pete Goldschmidt? What is, I mean, he had a bad year in 2019, but but I'm not sure I look at that and think, this guy isn't the same guy he's been. Now he's he's 32. He's going to be actually he's 33 now. He turns 34 during this season. So he's he is getting to a point where things are going to start to to trend the wrong direction. If you mean Pete Goldschmidt like a 400 woba instead of a 390 woba, sure. But he's still been. I mean, even if you include that 2019 season, his last like three or four years have still been really good in total. Okay. You have him, it looks like I'm pulling up at your ranks right now. You have him as your 10th for, for the true first baseman, the ones that don't have better eligibility elsewhere. And it looks like you've got him in the $20 tier. 
So I guess that answers my question. So, you, so you'd be at about $20 for him? So yeah, those $20 tiers, and I probably need to be clear about this in articles. Those are, I'd be willing to go sort of above that point. Okay. So like a $20 tier is that $20 to $25, 25 range right. versus a $25 tier being 25 to 30. Gotcha. So yeah, like I hear those, you know, last 10 at $23 and I'm I'm totally good with that on Goldschmidt. I don't think that $26 average is is out of the question because, for, for him. Because I would say if you if you think that his his projection should be closer to 380 or 390 then then I'd say you should have him as your second best first baseman then, because I don't think there's anybody else other than Freeman that's going to be anywhere yeah. near that. I don't think he's so. I don't, and I don't. I so my point is not to say when I was saying that he'd been around that 390 the last four years. It was not to say that's what he's going to do again. If I look at his last three years combined, so this includes a very down year in 2019 and a very short year in 2020. He's been at 371 over the last three years. Now, if I assume there's some general downward trend because he's on the wrong side of 30 and stuff, and he locks in at, let's say, 360, 355, somewhere in that area, you still get into that 6, 7, 8, 9 range. I have him at 10. I think, again, because of the age, there's a little bit more risk there. And so I, I could see him going higher than that. But I, I also think if I look at my, you know, that, that $20 tier includes Anthony Rizzo, Miguel Sano, Dominic Smith, like as my, and you know, you can mix and match within that tier, right? So like, I guess what I'm saying is I could see Smith anywhere from the fifth or sixth down to the 11th or 12th first baseman. The guys who are above him in that $30 tier are, are guys who are younger and have a longer future ahead of them. Right. right? So and there's I, some of that future value baked into your yes. tiers there. Yeah. But Which makes get, sense. But if you get into a question of right now, this year, who do I think, you know, do I think he finishes as a, do I think he finishes as a top five first baseman? No. Do I think he finishes as top 10? Yes. And I think that's totally fair. I It's interesting to me looking at his projections, by the way, that steamer, or I'm, um, I'm sorry, that zips is the low man or well, not man, but low, low system on gold Goldschmidt's projections at 344 weighted on base Seamer at 351, the bat at 351. Oh, I'm sorry. The bat at 360, the bat X at 351. I would have expected that zips would have been higher than steamer based on how well he did in 2020, even though it was a short season, because it always seems to me that zips is not as aggressive with regression for prior year performance as steamer is. So Given that he did have a pretty good season in the short season in 2020 with a 387, I'm surprised Zips is the is the lowest projection system on at least on the Fangrass player page for him. So it's just sort of interesting. I wonder what's going on there that Dan Zimborski's system sees that is knocking him down. And maybe it's just because it's not counting 2020 very much at all in in the way he's waiting all of those prior years. So. So for Goldschmidt, he is rostered in 51% of leagues right now. So uh, that means he was roughly kept in half the leagues, right? And given the few drafts that have happened. So my guy that I'd be a little bit, I guess bust is a strong word, but I'm really curious as to where Anthony Rizzo falls. Yeah, He's a little bit more expensive right now, 31, 35, 31, 35 average salary. And that's kept only in 28% of leagues so that's rostered right now 28.57 percent of leagues so he's going to be out there for three-fourths of the leagues basically that like that are even you know not not first years so i'm really interested like where that rizzo goldschmidt because rizzo i immediately i'm like man 30 low 30s for him is expensive but a lot of people kept him there right or everyone who did keep him kept him in that range i don't know if i'd want to go that high for him but he's also, at the same time, I'm really interested where he goes because that that is like a, a hugely price sensitive between me calling him a bust and a value. Yeah, if, I if he's at... if he's twenty dollars, yeah. If he is twenty seven dollars, I don't know. That might be a little bit too much for me. So, so I really am curious where, where like, where do you guys think he? Where would you price him if you were like in in your leagues, like in your leagues that are continuing, assuming he's a free agent? Because again, there's a scarcity situation that we're we're grappling with right now because so many players were kept and inflation is so low. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, I think. But like, what what do you do? Because Rizzo is one of the rare guys who is just out there right now. 
Yeah, I, th- I think Rizzo strikes me as a kind of guy who people are overreacting to 2020. Um, and when I look at his numbers and I, and I focus on the numbers where I'm looking for skill changes or reasons to believe he's meaningfully, meaningfully declining, his walk rate was 11.5%. He's at 11.2% for his career. His strikeout rate was 15.6%. He's at 15.8% for his career, although the last few years he's been lower than that. His home run per fly ball rate was 17.7%. It's 15.8% for his career. He's he's not chasing more than he did before. If anything, he's swinging less. His, his swing rate dropped a bit, especially pitches in the zone. His contact rate didn't really suffer. His swing strike rate is down. If you want to look for reasons for concern, his average exit velocity was down. His hard hit rate is on a three-year decline, but his barrel rate is up above his career average, and his max exit velocity was he hit his his hardest hit ball in 2020 is his hardest hit ball of his career in the Statcast era. So I, I look at all that, and it's like, yeah, there's some stuff that wasn't ideal. Yeah, there, but like the the biggest issue for him last year was that he posted a 218 BABIP. And so I think right. yep. I think he's going to come back a, a pretty good way. And like I have him above Goldie, who I was just saying I think is is still better than people realize because they're overweighting or they're ignoring, I guess, how good he's been other than that 2019. And Rizzo, I think people are just a, a little bit overreacting. I think he is another guy who's starting to show his age a bit. His 2018 was also a down year. In this one, though, the projections, like depth charts has him at a 359, the bat 364. I, I don't think that seems so wrong. And I think all the I think there were a lot of cuts from people who were like, oh, this guy was basically a league average bat last year. And yeah, he might bounce back, but how much is he going to bounce back? I think he's just going to sort of go back to being a, solid 360-ish Woba hitter, which isn't far off from what he's done for his career. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And I think that you know, looking at the surplus calc dollar values, he's actually the second highest first baseman, basically slightly above Pete Alonso, but only at $23.60. So I think we were talking about this earlier. Like that, I think that to me is the danger is you have somebody who is in that next tier behind Freeman is going to be available in a lot of leagues, as Niv said. Is that going to price him at a thirty-plus dollar range? And if that's the case, I, I don't. I don't think I'd want to pay that. I do think he's going to bounce back. I do think he's going to be a top four or five first baseman this year. I agree with that. And it's just about that price. And if if he's available and people are chasing the best first baseman that's in your auction in your returning league, I think his price is going to be inflated. And I'm not going to be. In, in the mix for that. So I think there's an interesting dynamic I'm noticing as you mentioned the prices in the surplus calculator that I think that I think surplus calculator versus the market, there is a difference in how much people spend or allocate to first base. There absolutely is, yes. And so I, I think what I'm hearing, and this probably plays into your strategy quite a bit, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later, is that you know you're saying like, oh, the number two the number two first baseman is like a 23, let's say, you know, bump it up to $25 player. And I just don't think that's realistically where people are going to spend. And so I think if that concerns you, you are right to be concerned about it. But I also think that um, there is value in the certainty and the production, the just raw production you can get out of some of these guys that causes them to be overpaid versus versus what surplus calculator thinks. And maybe it's a case where we're not like we're surplus calculators is almost there's almost too much value being put on the replacement level of first base being so high because there will be first basemen at the bottom who are really, really good. Um, it's hard to figure out who those guys will be ahead of time. You're making your best guess. And so I think people pay for that certainty and I'm not sure they're wrong to do it. And I'm not going to say that they're wrong either. And and I want to be very clear, like when I, when I prepare, dollar but you're going to think it, well, I may, I may have that opinion. I wouldn't put the dollar values that have this shape if I didn't think that that was the best shape that they should have. But I will readily admit that I have assumptions built in when I create dollar values. And I know when you do, used to publish dollar values as well, Chad, for all the, all the auto new formats, you also had your own set of assumptions about how do I set the baseline? How do I set the replacement level? 
do I do a fixed hitter or pitcher split in terms of what percentage goes to hitters and what percentage goes to pitchers? There's a lot of assumptions that are baked into those dollar values that if you change any of them, it can change, especially at the top end. It could turn this $24 Rizzo on the surplus calculator into a $30. Like it could move to $30 without a very big change in the assumptions that I'm making. So yes, if, if you want to push back and say the second best first baseman on the surplus calculator being $24 is, is maybe not uh, reasonable, I, I get it. I totally get it. And I understand and I And the market certainly thinks more on your side than my side because they are spending that money. But I feel like I'm still going to hammer the point that you can get five and a half, six points per game first baseman a lot easier than people think. And the Delta then justifies the fact that the, the first baseman like Rizzo or Goldie or even Alonzo is just not worth $30 compared to what the shortstops and the second baseman and the outfielders do against those replacement level uh, that, players. That's actually that's gonna be my next question for you real quick is if you looked at Rizzo just from a points per game standpoint and said, what am I paying for the same points per game at some other position? Just any comparison. I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, so I won't be... I need a shortstop who's left-handed who puts up the same point. No, but just anyone in any other position, same points per game as Rizzo, what their value is according to surplus calculator. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have my spreadsheet where I use the 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 calculations. I could actually look at it exactly and tell you like what he would be if he qualified at at outfield or something like that. But it'd be or a second pretty, base for the second, one year he did that. Yeah, and it would be it would be a substantial. But I I want to feel like if I'm trying to think back of what it, what that effect was on him when he gained that second base eligibility, I want to say it was almost ten dollars to have that eligibility. So to bump him up, so he might be something like a thirty five dollar second base middle infield eligibility. I feel like it, he'd be, he should be higher than that, but you know, it, it, it definitely makes a big difference. And for me, I wonder sometimes because of the way I'm pricing these guys at their, at the position based on, there are other first basemen, right? We already talked about Bellinger. He actually could be used at first base. That would actually change the replacement level for any number of those players who play at that position. It should in theory change that calculation you wouldn't have to go quite as deep which if anything would help my argument right that the bellingers out there or the dom smiths that you can functionally slot in at first base would actually drive the the, the replacement level even higher than i have it on the surplus calculator so let me ask where do you have jd martinez and xander bogarts those guys i've just pulled up i pulled up an old version of your sheet that you sent me mm -hmm. and they have very similar points per game to rizzo so that's a shortstop and xander and an outfielder and jd Okay. Xander is at $36 and JD Martinez is $27. Okay. So the outfield eligibility actually isn't a huge difference. It's a no, few it's bucks. not. Yeah. But um, I think, I think when I look at, when I look at that, it gives me a sense of like, there are, there is a, there is a justifiable argument to be made that you should pay for that production where you can get it. And if that means overpaying for him because he's only a first baseman, you're going to pay a big, big premium to get that somewhere else in the outfield. Maybe not, but certainly anywhere else in the diamond. And I'm so I get why people go over. That's all. Yeah. And I do, too. And, it, and again, it's it's a situation where the way I'm setting the values is I set it based on the number of first basemen that typically at auction are at two dollars and above salary. Okay, whatever that number is, I think it's 19. So 19 first baseman on my dollar values, I have is $2 and higher. So my baseline is set at that 19th first baseman. And that's where I'm calculating everything based on. But what that creates is it creates 19 first baseman with $2 and plus value, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the top one, two, three, and four first baseman are going to match reasonably close to what the market's going to pay for those. And that's where that skew happens where I think I have the right number of first basemen with value, but clearly compared to the market, I think across the board, all of my first base values are lower than the market. If, if, if we were doing like a consensus, like we were polling every single auto new manager that plays in Fangraphs points, I think across the board, the first base average consensus values would be higher than what I have on the surplus calculator. And I might argue that I'm exploiting them paying too much for first base, and that's why the, the values are lower. Or the other argument would be, 
if you know you have to pay a little bit more for a first baseman, then maybe you do need to make a mental adjustment that I'm willing to go another three to $5 because I know that any first baseman in this range is going to go for that price. So I can also go a little bit higher for this particular first baseman that I like in that same, in that same range. So I think one more first baseman in the, that I want to talk about briefly from a, a bust perspective, although I do not think he will be a bust, but a little bit of caution on Luke Voigt. He's got, he's had some issues with plantar fasciitis. It's a foot issue that tends to not go away. He claims it is behind him, but he's the one other guy who I'm, I'm really high on. I really think he's like, he is tailor made for that ballpark and he is showing it. There, there is a floor there that's a little scary if his foot doesn't let him play regularly. And I think I, you'll, again, we'll talk about this later. I I own, I I roster Voight in a number of places. I'm very happy to roster him at the price I'm rostering at. But if in a first year league where I think his price will be high, he comes with more risk, I think, than some of his peers. Yeah. Like that's just a player that if you are not in a first year league, you're not going to get a shot at him. Right. So 94% 94% roster percentage right now across all leagues, 94.5%. So that's, that. I mean, that's that's about as high as they come at this time of year. But his range is between 3 and $26, right? So the $26 top end, I think, is what you're talking about, Chad, right? Yeah, Not- I think if I had a $26 void, I might have been shopping him in the offseason. I wouldn't have cut him. I, it's not a, this isn't a keeper cut thing. It's a, it's a risk tolerance thing. Yeah. Um, where I have him, he's less expensive than that, and I'm very, very happy. If you've got him in the middle of that range, great. The, the risk, the risk just isn't that high in the middle of that range because if you lose him, you lose him. But you can spend elsewhere, anyways. But in a first year league where I think that 26 might be closer to his average rather than his peak, I'm, I'm a little bit more hesitant. And if I'm going to go into that mid 20s, I would. There's other guys I would rather spend on. Yeah, I, I think that's all fair. I, I wouldn't uh, argue with anything that you just said there on Voight. All right, we should probably briefly touch on prospects at the first base position. I know we already mentioned him briefly. Andrew Vaughn would be the first name that comes to mind at the position. Should be up this year and play some meaningful games for the White Sox. I don't know how if he's going to hit right away, but he certainly has the pedigree where that would be completely possible for him to come in right away and be relevant for auto new fangraphs points or saber leagues i i think that torkelson right now he doesn't technically have eligibility anywhere so we'll include him here on this first base episode whether he comes up and he plays first or third i mean i think it's i wouldn't be surprised if he got third base eligibility playing in the minors this year depending on how long they they keep the tigers keep him in the minors so he's another name obviously he's sort of similar to vaughn in my eyes where he's high draft pick at a position that normally doesn't have high draft picks because they just flat out hit and will probably hit the best bets to hit in the minors, I think, at this point between the two of them. And the other name that I wanted to mention is Tristan Casas, Boston Red Sox first baseman. I made a trade for him this this offseason in the trade deadline, and it wasn't a guy that I specifically targeted, but I sort of started looking into him and I went, yeah, actually, this guy is probably going to come up and be a slugger. And it's not a very valuable position, right? First base is the least valuable position on the hitting side of the ledger. But sometimes that means that you overlook some of these prospects when really you shouldn't because they can just hit. And and having that much, <clears throat> pardon me, hitting potential at any position is useful, even if it's first base. I think I also think the almost the opposite of what we've talked about yesterday with catchers or in our last episode with catchers. We talked about how teams are moving guys off of catcher because it's such a tough position. They want them to move more quickly. I feel like at times we're seeing them take guys who either could be or should be first baseman, and they're like, let's just see if he can stick in a corner outfield. Let's just see if he can play third base. Um, yeah, first base is definitely where you end up, Yeah, right? So like the best hitters everywhere will end up at first base. When you're 19, you can play any position. You will end up – you could end up at first base – by the time you're 22, 23, 24. Yeah. So. But I also, but I think the, the other side of this is I think guys moving off of first base is what I'm more getting at here. So like you guys are going to laugh, but there's an obvious first base prospect who got called up and didn't seem like he was going to play anywhere else and now has outfield eligibility. And that's Dom Smith. But I don't think he's the only guy who's done that, right? Mountcastle looked like he was going to be a first base. So now he looks like he'll be back at first base, but 
they've used him in the outfield for a while. There was talk that Vlad was going to end up at first base from the day he was signed, basically. But they kept him at third. They kept pushing him out there. There was talk this offseason he might go back to third base, although I think that's dead now. But I think, and you're seeing it now with Torkelson, right? There's a lot of people who think he's a first baseman or DH, but they're going to try to get him out there at third base. And I think you're going to continue to see that happen where guys who look like they're only first basemen, teams want them to be flexible. So if they can run out in a corner outfield and hold their own in a corner outfield, Kyle Schwarber, another example, who's who looked like a first baseman and then stuck in the outfield and is still in the outfield years later. So I think there is some upside in some of these these prospects that you think of as a pure first baseman that they might be able to pick up some eligibility elsewhere because they, they're trying to get that bat in the lineup however they can get that bat in the lineup. And it's the opposite of what happens to catcher, right? A catcher, they want to get that bat in the lineup however they can, and the best way to do it is to not let them catch. At first base, if, you're, if you've got an already got, you have a good first baseman, you're a National League team without the DH, or you've got a signed DH or whatever, you, you, know, you play Carroll off in the outfield even if you think he's a first baseman long term because you've got Snow and Nelson Cruz. And you you want to get Karloff's bat in the lineup no matter what, and you're willing to sacrifice that defense. And so I think you're actually I'm I feel like outside of catcher, people are willing to sacrifice defense and find a way to get these guys in. And so sometimes they're they're underrated because they're going to pick something up later that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I think that's a, that's an excellent point, I, absolutely, because we have seen that quite a bit. And and even a guy like Bellinger when he came up, I think he was mostly playing first base in the minors, and there was an expectation that he would eventually settle in as first base only and and that's not what we've seen right like if anything he's playing more in the outfield for the Dodgers than he was when he first came up so yeah and 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 any of those additional eligibilities like I mentioned with Torkelson if he comes up and he gets enough and he either in the minors or while he comes up in the majors if he's getting time at third base it's not going to be a huge boost to his value but at the very least it's going to give you positional flexibility as a manager right like being able to slot in more than one spot is helpful even if it's hard to quantify exactly how helpful that is and, and that additional any additionally eligibility on top of first base is going to improve his, uh, the value of a player because first base has the highest baseline. So any additional value is going to be a boon, which isn't the same case for like a shortstop, right? Like a shortstop that gets second base eligibility, you get some flexibility, but you're not really increasing the inherent value of having a second baseman instead of a shortstop. So are there any other prospect names either of you want to mention before we wrap this up? Okay, no, there's none. Not, All right. Not really. We will wrap this up then, uh, a little bit shorter than last episode. So we're making improvements, and we'll just try to keep doing that. We, I don't know exactly what the next episode's going to be, but I do want to mention that it's probably going to be – we'll probably do third base next, and then and then probably do the middle infield after that. Oh, I, I see that there's a note here. I, I, we skipped over strategy a little bit because we kind of alluded to it earlier for yeah, me, I think for, we we all seem a little price sensitive at this position. Yeah, and and my only strategy notes were basically that in in a similar way to catcher, I'm really not looking to spend very much at the position. We already talked about why because my sort of price curve at the position is such that I feel like the market's paying more than I want to across the board. So I'm going to try to get cheaper options at the position. And I think yeah, it's the only thing I'd add to that is this is another place where you can build a composite similar to what you can do with catcher where you can not not because you have the you don't have extra first base slots or anything like that but there's just a lot of guys who have first base eligibility so you can you can you can zombie together frankenstein monster together a first baseman which can you know give you flexibility throughout your whole lineup and not force you to have to spend 35 40 dollars on someone that's not named freddie freeman at this position which i think all three of us are a little afraid of of doing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, I mentioned before that I'm sort of living in that that mid-tier, that that sort of just under Freeman tier. I do have one Freddie Freeman on a roster. That's the the team that Niv and I share. But I've got three Luke Voigts, two Reese Hoskins, two CJ Crones. Just real quick about that Freddie Freeman. Like we we had a long conversation about that Freddie Freeman too, right? Like just because of, again, of asset allocation. So it's, it's a real, it's, it's an open question. Yeah. And we have him at $53, which I think in it, even with inflation and everything is, is pushing his upper limit. There was, there was just enough trade interest in him to remind us that he has value and just not enough to make us actually pull the trigger. We were probably closer to cutting him than we were to trading him based on the trade values we were, we were hearing. But 
we ended up keeping him, so I've got that one. But like I'm saying, I got three Voits, two Hoskins, two Crones, two Matt Olsons, who I really, really like this year, two Josh Bells, and a Pete Alonzo. And, and for me, you've got that whole list of guys. I, the fact that I don't have any Rizzos is only because they were so expensive in all my leagues that they were getting cut, and I wasn't trading for them because I could get these guys less expensive. If there were a bunch of like 18 to $22 Rizzos lying around, I'd probably have a couple of those as well because I'm really happy to go grab those, those guys at good prices. And, and that's where I want to live at first base if I can. Yeah, makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. So. All right. I think we are done with first base. As always, thank you for listening, and we will catch you guys next time. Yeah,